Good morning, Grace family. Our scripture reading from this morning will be from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. If you're using a pew Bible, it would be found on page 966. 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's word. Good morning, church family. I just want to start off by saying thank you, and I love you. Thank you. Especially for all you who have been praying for me and my family as we plan our transition to Baltimore City. Um, we are excited. We are overjoyed, and we are grateful that we have a church family that loves us and supports us prayerfully, financially, so thank you. Um, we are looking forward to what the Lord is going to do through us, and, and even you, thank you for you guys who are prayerfully considering coming with us, so thank you for that. Um, if you're a guest with us today, we are starting a, we have been in a series titled The Disciplines of Grace. We have been looking at how we can grow in the discipline of prayer, being in God's word, spend an adequate time at the feet of Jesus, and even growing in contentment in our lives. Today we will consider how we can grow in the discipline of evangelism. The title for today's sermon is The Discipline of Evangelism. If you don't have a Bible, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 through 21. 
Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can have that Bible in the pew as a gift to you from us. Consider this question with me. What motivates you to share the gospel with someone you don't know? What motivates you to talk about Jesus to others, whether at work, whether at your neighborhood, at, at church? What motivates you to share the good news with strangers who don't know Jesus? Church, I'll be the first to confess that when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to sharing the gospel, I feel obligated. I'm a pastor for crying out loud. I have to share my faith. I should be doing this daily and and even weekly. See, every time I'm on a plane, I, I sit next to someone, I try to find a row with some leg room. So the Lord knows, he knows who's right beside me. And when I sit down, I say, okay, here we go. I'm a pretty friendly guy, so it starts off with small talk. We get to know each other. And then I ask them, can I share with you the, the most wonderful message that changed my life? And the Lord uses that for his glory. I confessed, even this past week, as I was studying, preparing for the sermon, it was Tuesday, snow was coming down. Snow was already down. And I was telling myself, I should probably, I come up, I come up with pretty good ideas. You, you, you know that guy that comes up with clever ideas but never put boot into the ground and, and accomplishes them? That's me. So I have this amazing idea. I should go out and shovel some snow and then share the gospel with my neighbors. Just like, hey, I will shovel your, your driveway for free if you allow me to, to share this message that changed my life. I had that wonderful idea. And I said, no, you know what? Someone's got to preach on Sunday. <laughs> so I, I got to buckle down and, and, and hit this book. What about you, beloved? What kind of excuses do you come up with of why you can't share the gospel? Just to be sure we're on the same page of what, it, what I mean when I say the gospel, here's a definition of the gospel. The gospel is the message that God is holy and people are not. But Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross in our place and was raised three days later for those who would turn from their sins and trust in him they will receive the gift of eternal life this is the wonderful message we call the gospel it's good news this is what we're called to share and I'm convinced deep down in our hearts we, we want to share it but we get awkward and afraid when opportunities come, we, we grow silent and distant, and we talk ourselves off the ledge. We say things like, I don't, I don't know what to say. I'm not equipped. I don't have a seminary degree. I'm not a pastor. Let me tell you, being a Christian and following Jesus means you love those who don't follow Jesus. Jesus. 
And that love includes sharing the gospel. Yes, people may reject you, but first know that they have rejected Christ. Despite your weaknesses or the lies you believe about yourself, God has given you everything you need to be his ambassador. Do you believe that this morning? In our passage today, the Apostle Paul, he was up against the same temptations that we face regarding his ministry and regarding sharing this message of reconciliation, of being an evangelist. He was criticized and rejected by the church he loved dearly. The very church that he planted was convinced by false teachers that they should not listen to him. That he's out of his mind, he's crazy, he suffers. He's not even a good speaker. Why are you listening to him? He's weak. He's sometimes homeless. They said if he was a legit teacher, none of these things would happen to him. If he was a legit teacher, he would be impressive. And he would be a, a, skillful, a skillful communicator. You see, this is one of the main reasons why Paul wrote this letter. He wrote this letter to defend his ministry to defend this message, his character, and to remind the ones he loves why he had this ministry in the first place. In today's text, the, the Apostle Paul gave the Corinthian church a picture of his own heart. He showed them the very reason why he did what he did. What was his motivation for his ministry to them? Why he evangelized and persuaded others but the gospel of Jesus Christ? believe God through Paul has wrote this letter to us as well to be our motivator. He reminds us of why we do what we do, why we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have two points which are in the form of two questions that we will answer together this morning. The first point is, what are the causes for our evangelism? And the second point is, what are the effects of our evangelism? So point one, what are the causes of our evangelism? What are the motivations for why we share the good news of Jesus Christ? Paul begins in verse 11. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. What does Paul mean by the fear of the Lord? The therefore in verse 11 connects us back to verse 10, which says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul paints a picture for us of Jesus sitting on his throne as the King of kings and Lord of lords, he is the ruler. He's the judge. The fear of the Lord is having an awe of who God is and what he has done and what he will soon do. When was the last time you thought about Judgment Day? It's not something we roll out of bed thinking about, is it? It's usually not something that we consider. But let's consider it briefly. There will be a day 
and our future when we stand before the throne of God, a holy God, the same God who took on human flesh and dwelled among us, who lived the perfect life and died the death that we all deserved, who conquered the grave, we, we will see him face to face. You see, church, what we have done with Jesus is what we'll be evaluated on. What did you do with his love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness? What did you do with the life of Jesus inside of you? All of that will be brought to light on that day. The text says that each one would give an account of what he has done in the body. This means we can't hide behind our parents. We can't hide behind our spouse, our big sister, and even our pastors. See, evangelism is not a task for the spiritual leaders of the church. God has called us all to proclaim this wonderful message. He has equipped us. He has given us everything that we need to boldly speak up. Paul is saying that this is what motivates his service, his ministry. This is what motivates him sharing the gospel. Beloved, there will be a day when we all will individually look Jesus into his eyes and give an account. This is what motivates our persuading of others and believe, um, to repent and believe the gospel. This is what causes us to go and do evangelism. What do I mean by evangelism? Here's the definition of evangelism. Evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Churches with a healthy fear of God that motivates us to share Jesus with others. If you are in Christ, judgment day will not be a scary day. It will be a glorious day, a day of great rejoicing, of awe and wonder. Jesus will not judge you based upon your sin. He has already done that at the cross. He said that it is finished. He said that, Father, forgive them. It would not be a day of God judging our sin. This would be a day of God evaluating what we have done with the life of Jesus Christ inside of us. What you have done with his love and his grace is for freedom that he set you free. You see, after living a life of suffering, after living a life on this earth bearing our crosses, we will stand before the one who bore the ultimate cross, who completed the work, Paul said it perfectly in Romans 8.1. He said, if anyone is in Christ, there is therefore no condemnation. God is not out to punish us because he took the punishment on the cross. Do you believe that? He took all of your shame and all of your guilt. Christian friends, no longer be scared of the day of judgment because that day will be a day of mercy a day of great rejoicing. The same Savior who loved you, 
the same Savior, Savior that took your place on that cross. He's going to call you his crown and his joy. Our Savior will honor us because our faithful endurance, how he lived under the fear of the Lord, what we have done with what he commanded us to do. So think about that day when you wake up in the morning. Think about that day when you're persuading others for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that one day we will give an account to the King of Kings. Some of students right now, they are studying in high school, taking AP classes to become a doctor. They are talking to their parents about what it, what it would look like for them to, to go to a university to, to study medicine and study science. They are making decisions today based upon their future. Many are studying to be lawyers. You don't wake up one morning and decide to be a lawyer. You prepare for that day. Some of us have retirement accounts and IRAs because we're planning for 65 and beyond. You don't wake up at 65 and say, well, I guess it's time for me to get a retirement plan. No. You have something, you lay something aside now. Some of us perhaps may be saving for our, our kids' college fund. We don't decide on their high school graduation to, um, to put money aside then. That's too late. The point is this. The knowledge of the future controls activity today and the present. You see, when you know where you're going, you will make decisions today based upon where you're going. Judgment Day in the fear of the Lord is a motivator for persuading our coworkers tomorrow morning, our neighbors today, to repent and believe the gospel. Beloved, what we do now matters eternally. Do you believe that? Does your prayer life reflect that? Does your generosity reflect that? How you view your money and your earthly possessions? How about your relationships? Do you even know how to relate to non-Christians? Do you just see them as projects? Or do you see them as people created in the image of God that desires love? People that are looking for hope, but maybe even looking for it in all the wrong places. Beloved, will you come and give them hope? Will you come and give them the light of the gospel? The old saying is true, people do not know, people don't care what you know, until so they know that you care. Does the fear of the Lord cause you to care for the people around you? Listen, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, Judgment Day will be a day of judgment. It will be a scary day. God will judge you based upon your sin. Let me plead with you to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. There will be nothing that you can do on that day to save yourself. Even your good works will condemn you. Listen, there is hope for you today. And his name is Jesus. He has came to save you, to show you his love and his glory, and to set you free so that you can stand with confidence on that day.
Brothers and sisters, let that day that is drawing near be a motivator for us today to care for the people right in front of us, to persuade them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, not judging people from their outward appearances, but from the heart. Take a look at verse 12 and 13. Paul is addressing those false teachers who have criticized his ministry, those who have attacked his character. They said that he was out of his mind, that his letters were too weighty and forceful, that his speech was unimpressive, that his physical body was weak, that God couldn't use him. Paul answered back by saying, my life has been an open book to you, church. It's been an open book before God. I don't have my ministry to look good on the outside, but on the inside. I'm not doing these things for show. I'm doing these things for you, Corinthians. If they say that I'm crazy, then I'm crazy for God. If they say that I'm in my right mind, it's because I'm in my right mind for you. I love you. Paul is saying, I don't fear man, I fear God. I live for an audience of one, the one who loved me and gave his life for me. Beloved, can you say that? Can you say the same thing? That, you're, that the life that you lived right now is in front of an audience of one? That you don't persuade others for the gospel to get recognition from man, but to please God? Are you willing to be considered out of your mind, crazy or misunderstood in the eyes of others because you're sold out for God and for the gospel and the message of reconciliation? What would cause Paul to be okay with being considered weak and crazy and unimpressive? What would cause Paul to persuade others, even those who misunderstand him? We see in verse 14 and 15 that it was the love of Christ. Paul shifted gears from the fear of the Lord to now the love of Christ is what controls him. The love of Christ is his motivator. It is what completes his motivation. What does that love look like? It looks like the cross. He says, because we have concluded this, verse 15, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, died and was raised. Paul is saying, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Now, this life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, at the cross, Jesus died to forgive us of all of our sins. Jesus did something we could not do for ourselves. He did something that even the blood of bulls and goats could not do. He died so that we can live. He died for all. The all here is all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. This is not universalism. This is not the teaching that God is going to somehow save everyone at the end. This is not, that is not true. And this is not Paul's teaching. The all here represents every Christian who has placed their faith in Christ. Every Christian is united to Jesus. They're united to his death, united to his resurrection. We have union with Christ. This is God's love for you, church. Jesus died and was raised for your sake. Now we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us 
You see, once you know this kind of love, it will propel you to love others. It will cause you to share life with others, to share Jesus with others. You're going to want to. You're going to want other people to know about this great love. Paul says in verse 15, he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. And in light of God's love, we no longer live for ourselves. See, God's love causes us to be selfless. We no longer hold our lives with a tight fist. We are now ready to share our lives with others, to share the wonderful message of Jesus Christ. We loosen the grip. You see, to share your life with others and to share the gospel with others, that's our very purpose. This is what controls our evangelism, the love of Christ, the life of Christ inside of us. It's what shifts us in drive. It puts us to, it put our feet on the gas and we stir our hearts towards one another. It's the love of Christ for his glory. Church, we have looked at what motivates our evangelism, but what are the effects of our evangelism? We can humbly anticipate God doing these things through us. So that's point number two. What are the effects of our evangelism? When we teach the gospel with the aim to persuade, what can we expect to happen? Paul helps answer this question for us with three therefore statements. In verse 16, we have a new outlook. In verse 17, we are a new identity. In verse 20, we have a new purpose. Let's begin by looking at verse 16, by looking at our new outlook on life. Paul says in verse 16, For now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. We no longer see people through outward appearances. Have you guys ever heard of the saying, don't judge a book by its cover? That's what Paul's saying here. Don't judge people by worldly points of view. We don't regard people by their ethnicity. We don't regard people through their social class, how much money they make, what school they went to, what they look like on the outside. We don't share the gospel with people who uh, we're comfortable with, who, who look like us and talk like us. You see, when we know the fear of the Lord and the love of Christ, we take the gospel to everyone. You see, when you have participated in Jesus' death and resurrection, there are only two human races. Either you are in Adam or you are in Christ. See, Paul says we, know, we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. Paul is saying here, we once re- he once regarded Jesus according to the flesh. He just saw Jesus as some, some Jewish carpenter who just wanted to overthrow Rome. That's not who Jesus was. He just saw Jesus as an enemy of God. But now he regards him this no longer because he encountered Jesus on that Damascus road. 
he has seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten. And when he encountered Jesus on that road, it changed his life. It changed his outlook and how he viewed the world, how he viewed Christians and non-Christians. He sees Jesus as his Lord and Savior. If you're a guest with us today, you might have noticed that we're not out to impress you. There are no smoke machines on the stage. There's no flashing lights. There's no confetti coming from the sky. There's not a zip line that, that, that I came out on into this pulpit. I'm sorry. <laughs> if that's what you came, that's what you came for, I'm sorry. But, but guess what? Uh, this is what I hope that you came in here and you saw. I hope you saw Jesus. I hope you saw his glory. I hope you encountered his love for you through the singing of God's word, through the prayers, through the preaching of God's word. We pray that you have encountered the living God, the God who loves you. Beloved, the gospel is so beautiful and glorious. Don't worry about being impressive. Having the right words to say, even having the right setting, share the wonderful message of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. It's the power of God to change our whole outlook on life. In our evangelism, we get to show people the real Jesus. He is more than an example, He's our Savior. He isn't just a radical teacher. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. And believing in him would change the way we view the world around us. It would change our outlook, but it would also change our identity. Take a look at uh, the next sentence in verse 17. It says, Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Here we have Paul declaring that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are inside of Christ, and therefore, we have a new identity. Not only is your outlook in life different, but you are different. You have been transformed. God didn't just change some minor features in our lives. He literally changed our whole identity. We are a new creation. The old has passed away. This is pointing us back to our old life. The life we used to live in sin the life that, that put us in the grave, that caused us to be filled with guilt and shame. Right now, church, you have been resurrected with Christ. The new has come. This is what Jesus means when he says that you must be born again. As a Christian, our, our past no longer defines who we are. You see, I used to be a self-centered womanizer who was just worried about himself, who wanted to be impressive, wanted his own glory. But that's not me no longer. That life no longer defines who I am. That's not me. This, those mistakes from the past no longer control who I am. But what about you, beloved? Do you live in regret of your past? Everywhere you go, you are a constant reminder of who you once were and what you once did. See, God is not just putting up with you. He loves you. Listen to me. Pick your head up. You can be used by God. 
You are a new creation. Your, your shortcomings do not define who you are. You are his. God is not done with you, church. Beloved, don't let your past stop you from being what God raised you to be. You are an ambassador. You are his evangelist. You are God's son and daughter. You're not a second-class Christian. You are a first-class Christian. How can this be true? Take a look at verse 18. Paul says that all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. You see, the word reconcile simply means that God has made his enemies his friends. He has done but what he has done by what Paul says at the end of verse 19, that God does not count our trespasses against us. Church, the primary problem in our world today, it's not your family. It's not your children. It's not your boss. You see, the primary problem that we all face is our sin. Sin calls all of us to be enemies of God. It's the reason why we are so selfish and rebellious. He said, friend, any problem you're facing today doesn't come close to the problem of sin. The only way we can become reconciled to God is by first addressing how damaging our sin is to God. Repenting and be believing in the gospel. This is what causes us to become new creations. This is how sinful people like us can be reconciled to a holy God. Look around you. Marvel for a second that the people around you are new creations in Christ Jesus. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. And the only reason that you can uh, consider yourself a new creation is because someone had the audacity, someone had the boldness to share the gospel with you. Someone decided to obey God, filled with his love, filled with the fear of the Lord, and, and they took the gospel to you. We wouldn't be here today if someone didn't share the, the wonderful message of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. This is the message that we have been given who will you take it to? Not only does evangelism affect our identities, but it also gives us a new purpose. The next final therefore is found in verse 20. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. An ambassador is someone who is sent on a mission to represent the interests of someone else. If anyone is in Christ, they have been given a new outlook on life. They've been given a new identity, and they have been given a new purpose. Church, we represent King Jesus. You see, when you leave today, and you go off and you get lunch, you are representing King Jesus. When you go home and you talk to your children, you are representing King Jesus. 
When you are serving your spouse, you are representing King Jesus. When you go to work tomorrow and you go into those doors and, and, and in front of your coworkers, in front of your boss, you are representing the King of Kings. Everything you do and say, you are an ambassador. You represent the king. You see, if this is true, what are the interests of the king? What is the message of the king? You see, the interest of the king is the glory of God. And how is God glorified? It's when sinners are reconciled to him. This is awesome. This is our purpose. Beloved, when you open your mouth and you share the sweet news of, of the gospel, verse 20 tells us that God is making his appeal through us. This is an awesome job. We are God's instruments, his tools, and his hands his, to do his work. When we tell the world that a holy God wants a relationship with them, but their fundamental problem is sin, and the hope for all sin is faith in Jesus Christ, God is making his appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. Beloved, there will be a day when all of our coworkers, all of our family members, our friends, they will stand before a holy God on that last day, and God will judge them according to their trespasses because he is holy, and he doesn't just sweep sin under the rug. Because he is holy and good, he will punish sin. He has punished sin. But here's the good news. Here's our message. Look with me at verse 21. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. All of this is from God. God became human and lived a perfect life. Jesus never sinned. He never disobeyed God. He did everything right. He was perfect, but he died on the cross. Everyone who places their trust in Jesus, something amazing happens. All of our sins, past, present, and future, was laid upon Jesus. Jesus is our substitute. He died in our place. He took on the full wrath of God, and it gets better for us. Jesus gives us his righteousness. The righteousness of God is added to our ledger. It's added to our account. This means when God sees us, he sees his perfect son, Jesus. We stand before God as righteous. This is the beauty of our message. This is the effects of our evangelism. God is making his appeal through us, telling the world to be reconciled to God. If that's you this morning, if you're yet not a follower of Jesus Christ, I beg you to turn to him, to trust him, to believe in Jesus Christ. What will motivate us to share this beautiful message this week? Church, we have this sweet privilege to represent the king by declaring the wonderful message of the gospel. God gives us opportunities when we fail. He gives us more and more chances. You see, I shared earlier that I dropped the ball on Tuesday, but what happened on Friday? 
there was more snow. And my sermon is done. So guess what me and my son did? We shoveled some driveways. And my son was more bold than me. He was, he was, he was ready to share the good news. They were ready to pay him. And they said, no. He said, no, I'm not going to take your money. I want you to know that I have a free gift to you, that God loves you. And then we brought tears to my eyes to see my son sharing the gospel boldly. Church, will we have the same childlike faith and share, have the courage to open up our mouths and allow God to use us to share the, the free gift of eternal life? I'm so grateful that I'm already a part of a church that you guys do this. Every year, during the end of June, what do we do? We, we are ambassadors together. We have a free car wash and free VBS. We, uh, we do home improvement. We do random acts of kindness. If you're new to Grace, we call this Grace Gives. It's our, one of our biggest outreaches we do of the year. And why do we do it? People ask us all the time, why do we do it? Because God has given us a uh, free gift, the best gift, his son, Jesus Christ. And if washing your call for free allows you to know him, we're going to do it. We say this all the time, that grace gift is not just an event. It's a lifestyle. We're not waiting to June. We're not waiting to June and then checking off the list that we did our evangelism. No, it's our lifestyle. It's what we, it, we have this privilege. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We have been given the message of reconciliation. We, we implore you to be reconciled to God. Using our words to persuade others to be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know many of us here have come with many different struggles, many different sufferings and weaknesses, many temptations. Lord, help us. Help us despite our weaknesses, despite all of these things. Help us to do what you call us to do. Help us to share the gospel, not seeking to be impressive, but seeking to be a vessel that you use for your kingdom so that people can see our good works and praise our Father in heaven. Thank you for the privilege of sharing the good news. I pray that you will send us out to bring glory to your name being controlled by your great love as we wait for the return of our King. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.